Tom Harless, come on up. Yeah. Eddie, why don't you wave? Yay, Eddie Harless is here too. And um, two of the three sons, Ezekiel is still in Tennessee, uh, living and in, in working. Is he out of college yet? No, uh, no, he's entering his senior year. His senior year, okay. And uh, and then Samuel, you saw there's there Samuel right there, the handsome young man right there. Good to see you, Samuel. Malachi is out in River Kids, and um, what a, a just dear family, a a valuable family in the kingdom of God. And when they moved, you know, it it was it, we we really felt the holes uh, of uh, serving the Lord, giving uh, of themselves and their gifts. And uh, and one of the gifts that we are able to call them back to occasionally is the preaching gift. And, and Kyle, God just gave it to him, and he started working on it and developing it. And um, we are have gone a little bit longer, but I want us to say you have freedom to, to go through your whole, you know, the words of the Lord that he's given you for today, okay? So everybody's good with that. We're going to give him freedom to get it all out and not feel rushed. And I, that's another thing I felt this morning, you know, Stephen, don't get rushed today. You know, don't be rushed and just wait on the Lord. So let's do that as Kyle uh, comes up here as well. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we are hungry for you. We confess that. We ask for that spirit of God to uh, increase our hunger for you. So our ears are open. And by your Holy Spirit, we are asking that we receive what you have for us from your word through Kyle today. Lord, Lord, anoint him in a way that would empower him, will God even even lead him in, in specific things to say, will God, that we, Lord God, would be open and you would use him by your anointing and presence in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. All right. Okay. Great. Uh, wow, that has been really powerful this morning. It's really touched me. I want to say a special thank you to Brianna. Um, it's good to hear from the youth. It's good to hear your story. We need to hear your story. So... Um, if there's anybody like Brianna, don't be afraid to share because we old people, we need it. It gives us life, it gives us breath, and it gives us hope. Um, thank you. It was a few years ago, many, many years actually, that um, I was in this room and I heard, felt the Holy Spirit talk to me and it told me to do two specific things, two very specific things. One was to finish my career with the Department of Corrections and two was to go back to school and finish what I started with my college degree. And then she goes, I will tell you further information um, once you do those two things. Well, I have done those two things, and I got led, surprisingly, to the place I probably didn't really expect. I got led to the Department of Revenue, and to become a tax collector. <laughs> so, I collect sales and use tax. So when you go to the store, or you go to the restaurant... And you see that little line that says sales tax, that is me. <laughs> and um, I've learned some things over the last seven years in the Department of Revenue. Uh, one of the things is, is people do not like tax collectors. They didn't like them in the Bible, and they surely don't like them today. Um, I've had a lot of people come to me today and say, hey, Kyle, it's, I'm glad to see you. I'm really happy to see you. And um, to be honest with you, I don't get that very often. So most people aren't usually like it when I call and contact them. Um, I appreciate that, and I say thank you. Um, but another thing I learned from the Department of Revenue is definitions matter. Definitions matter. Um, 
when we have a case and we sing, and is this taxable, we often go back to the definition. And I wanted to show you an um, example. Most of you know food, when you go to the grocery store, is exempt from sales tax. Except for soft drinks, candy, and prepared food. And that sounds simple. That sounds simple. But what is a candy bar? What is a candy I asked you to put a picture of some candy bars. Now, can you tell me, some of these are candy bars and are charged 6% sales tax. There's two of them that are not. And you know why? By definition, and this is in statute, a candy bar cannot contain flour. So the Twix bar and the Kit Kat bar are not a candy bar. And if you go buy one and you are charged sales tax, you've been charged improperly. But, <laughs> but in January 2019, I got diagnosed with diabetes. And I get tempted sometimes to, to stray from my diet. And I'm so tempted to go to the store and buy a Twix bar. And then when Hetty asked me, Kyle, did you get a candy bar? I can say, no! <laughs> I did not buy a candy bar. But you see, it's based on definition. Based on definition. Obviously, Hetty and the Department of Revenue have different definitions of candy bars. And for purposes. And I really do believe that there's a candy bar we, we sometimes I've been hearing here lately about where we think we know what it means, but we don't really discuss it because we think we just assume everybody knows what it means. And it's the concept of the hard heart. You know, we, are, we just, I hear a lot of preachers and I hear a lot of podcasters, they say talk about the hard heart, but they very rarely do they talk about what is a hard heart and what do they mean when they say somebody has a hard heart. Um, I found a definition online, and I originally was going to look at this definition and just probe it and probe it and get dinner, but that was, didn't really speak to me in my preparation time. And um, I had this hard and fast rule in my house, and it's called no animals. I don't want any pets. I don't want any animals. So one of my jobs is to feed the chickens. So, <laughs> so I take care of the chickens and the rabbits, and what I do is I, I go feed them every day. And then I collect the eggs. And one day, I was checking the eggs, and I noticed what you do is you put a, a false egg where you want them to lay, and you encourage the hens to put your eggs here. So I, one, one day, I was out checking the eggs, and I found this hen. She gathered this egg, and she was sitting on it. And she sat on it and sat on it. It was day after day. And then the days turn into weeks, and then turns into over a month. This same hen is trying to sit on this false egg. And I was and then I talked to Hetty about it. I was just one day at dinner. I was just laughing about it. I was thinking, yeah, this silly little hen, she really believes she's sitting on this egg, and she's going to birth something. And then Hetty goes, you know, that might be a good sermon illustration one day. <laughs> Think about that. Think about the commitment it takes to sit on that egg, and how do you, you just never give up. You just never give up. And I'm thinking, yeah. I suppose, maybe, but I just couldn't get it out of my head, and I guess kept thinking, what is this hen committed to? What really is this hen committed to? And then I thought, because it's something that this egg 
It can't give life. It'll never give life. It has nothing in it to give life. She's just sitting on an egg forever. And then I thought, well, maybe that's probably a better definition or description of a hard heart. A belief, a stubbornly held belief that you refuse to let go, and that belief never gives life. It can't give life. Maybe when we look today, let's, 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 let's define that as our definition of hard heart. A mental picture of a hen sitting on a false egg that just won't give life. And I want to look at two people, examine their hard hearts, and then I want to find out the part when they became, when they realized they were sitting on a false egg. I want to look at Pharaoh, and I also want to look at Paul or Saul. All right, so let's start with the examination of the hard heart through Pharaoh. We open up our scripture, and we look at the world of Pharaoh, the world of Pharaoh that, that came from. It's found in Exodus 1, 8 through 14. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing. I used to always think that you'd always say Joseph who forgot Joseph. But that's not what the Bible said, but who Joseph meant nothing. They knew Joseph. They knew the story of Joseph. They knew that the reason why Egypt was more powerful than the other nations was because the God of Joseph explained the dream. And those seven years of drought, they were able to rise Egypt above. But they forgot it, or they meant nothing to them. They really believed that they were the reason before the power, the gods of Egypt came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. There's the problem. We can't control them, and they may rise up against us, and we will lose our power. And so their solution was in the next few verses. So, to solve that problem, they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pitom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. They did not solve their problem. So, the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. And worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So we look at this is where Pharaoh came from. And this was centuries after centuries of Egyptians were being more really powerful. And the people of Israel were workers. And they even dreaded them. They just the sight of them. They dreaded them. And because they felt that way, they could feel like they could work them ruthlessly. Without any, without any sympathy, without any bad feelings at all. That's kind of the condition of the hard heart. But let's talk about more about what the egg is. What is the false egg that the Pharaoh is believing? We continue in Exodus 5, 1 through 9. Moses comes to the scenes. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? I think it's a big question. 
if you I've been watching Disney Plus and they have this these documentary series and they actually explore the ancient world and some of the graphics and they did one on Ramesses the second and they went into one of his temples towards the end of the episodes and there was actually a hieroglyph and one of the Egyptian people were explaining it in the hieroglyph it has Pharaoh the king offering gifts to Pharaoh the god. So when they ask, who is, who is the Lord? Who is God? Pharaoh really believes he is God. Not only is he God, he's the God of the Egyptians, but he's also the God of the Hebrews. I am the God. I, whatever I say, go. If I want you to work, you work. If I want you not to work, you don't. I am God, and I'm greater than your God. And if your God was so great, why did you spend several hundred years under our thumb? If your God was so great and so much powerful, then why am I over you? Let's go back to what Pharaoh says. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of Hebrews have met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are numerous, and you are stopping them from working. Refers back to Exodus chapter 1. You're getting too big. You're getting too numerous. We're afraid you might join our enemies. I am God. You are not. Your little God means nothing. Get back to work. There's the egg. It sounds like a big egg, but it's, it's, that's the egg. Pharaoh is God, and he has reasons to believe it. And then because he believes he's God, he's going to exert his Godship in the next few verses. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw but require them to make the same numbers of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. What are the lies Pharaoh's talking about? That your God is greater than me. That your God can order me. The lie is, is you work for us. You are subject under us. And and that lie that your God commands me is a lie. Get back to work. So that's the egg, and that is the examination of Pharaoh. Let's examine Paul, or Saul's, um, hard heart that can be found in Acts chapter 7 verses 57 and this and 8 at this does anybody remember know what this is Acts chapter 7 
is where Stephen goes on a big monologue about Jesus and the Old Testament. It talks about Jesus being the Messiah. Jesus being Emmanuel. And at this is recorded, they covered their ears and started yelling at their voices. They literally covered their ears. So they did not want to hear about Jesus. They did not want to know Jesus is in the Old Testament. They did not want to know Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Emmanuel who came with us. That is a lie. We are really going to cover our ears, literally, and yell so we don't have to hear your argument. You're making too good of an argument. I don't want to hear it. At the top of the, and they all rushed him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul changes his name to Paul. But laying their coats is, a, is an indication of Saul was the one who authorized the stoning and killing of Stephen because he was spreading false lies about Jesus. On, and then we continue the story. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. On that day, a great persecu- persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. What was Paul's egg? What was Paul's false egg that he was so hard that he could, he could do this, go from house to house to destroy the church? Why did he do that? I read a book by N.T. Wright simply entitled Paul. And N.T. Wright went on to explain, um, he had a theory. And it also goes back to Numbers 25. He says, Numbers 25 is a story about Phineas, who courageously and zealously stood up for God. I want to show you that story. It's Numbers 25, 1 through 3. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrifice meal and bowed down before their gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. This was Israel was going into the new promised land. They were conquering, and all of a sudden the Moabs induced them into sin. It's easy to focus on the, the adultery. But I think the, the bigger issue is adultery is number six in the, in the Ten Commandments. They violated the number one commandment. You shall have no other gods. The adultery led to worshiping other idols and other gods. And the Lord's anger burned against them. And Phineas, our hero, is, will come on. Then an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and in the whole assembly of Israel. 
while they were weeping at the entrance of the front of the tent of meetings. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite's man and into the woman's stomach. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. Phineas had the zeal and the passion for the Lord to say, we are not going to worship any other gods. And we're not going to let these Moabites indice us or entuse us into worshiping other gods. And so he was willing to do what nobody else was doing. He took that spear and purged it. And N.T. Wright says, Paul, in the same spirit of Phineas, was going from town to town with that same zeal because he's going to purge this church. Pentecost, there was 5,000 people. The next day, Paul, Peter preaches in 3,000. This was a growing movement and movement. And it was enticing, inducing the Israelite church to pull away from Jesus. To pull away from the God of the Old Testament. To worship this Jesus. And he says, I, and only I, had the courage and the zeal of Phineas to make this right. I know N.T. Wright's heart is, is easy to um, dismiss. He is just N.T. Wright, after all. It's just a theory. But let me strengthen N.T. Wright's position with Jesus' words. John 16, 1-2 All this I told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming... When anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Is it really that hard for N.T. Wright's theory when you hear the words of Jesus? He says they're going to kill you thinking they're going to commit a service to God. I do think it's possible. But one day I went out to check the eggs. And I went to see my favorite hen and to see my favorite egg. And I walked into the chicken house and my egg was on the floor, on the ground. Apparently something happened. And I thought I'd have fun and I'd try to put it back in the, in the nest, see if she would do it. If I come back the next day, it would be on the ground again. I don't know what happened, but something realized that I was sitting on a false egg. And that this egg wasn't going to do it. And I could not convince this hen to sit on this egg again. I don't know... I do think both Pharaoh and Paul had this moment of revelation. And I want to show it to you, hopefully, in Scripture. Um, let's start with Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust on the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on the people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the Egyptians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. God. 
But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord said. His own magicians, who up until this point were able to reproduce all the great signs of Moses and Aaron, they could no longer produce them. And the magicians look at Pharaoh and said, this is beyond us. This is bigger than us. You need to know this. Do you know what the what number of the ten plagues of the gnats are? It's the third. I was kind of surprised in studying it. I thought that the revelation would come a lot later. This is the third out of ten plagues. There's seven more plagues that are coming. And if you see, read the story of Pharaoh and Moses, this is the turning point. This is the point where God gets greater and greater and greater and Pharaoh becomes less and less and less until we finally get to the point where the Red Sea comes and it parts and Pharaoh is fully, fully defeated. How many people in Egypt had to suffer because of Pharaoh's hard heart? How many people had to lose their lives because he could not reject his egg? Wow. Three out of ten. And when you see the word Pharaoh's heart was hard, was you just picture a hen that just refuses to reject the egg. And you think, what a fool. What a fool. Because a fool says there's no God. And Pharaoh says there is no God, and I refuse to re- reject it. But let's look at the revelation for Paul. When Paul had his revelation, this is a pretty popular verse in popular scripture. It's found in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him. Now, I intentionally put a pause there, because sometimes in storytelling, pauses really add things to the story. Now, let's just assume we are Paul, we are the zealot, we believe we are right, we believe we are righteous, we believe we are serving a holy God and making this world a better place. We are on our way to commit our, to, to our mission, to complete our mission. And then all of a sudden, you are hit with a blinding light. And you're going down, and you hear a literal voice from heaven. And if we assume N.T. Wright's theory is correct, then we probably assume he's going to hear what Phineas heard. Let me tell you what Phineas heard. It's found in Numbers, chapters 10-13. through 13. The Lord said to Moses, Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest has returned my anger away from the Israelites. Since he was as zealous as for my honor among them as I am, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him, I am making a covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. So if he's serving as Phineas, then you should expect him to hear 
the blessing of Phineas. I'm reminded of one of my favorite Marvel movies. It's Thor Ragnarok. And Thor is in the arena. And he's fixing to fight for his freedom. And this, uh, this huge champion is coming out. And if you defeat the champion, Thor gets his freedom. And he comes out and the crowd is bringing up. Rah, 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 rah. And all of a sudden, the Hulk comes smashing through. And everybody's like, oh. And I love Thor's response. And Thor's response is, yeah, I finally got this. And this is what I think of when I think of Saul at this point. Saul's on his way to Damascus with his heart full of zeal and his heart full of pressure. And we hear the light. He hears the voice and he says, yeah! But the problem is, is most of you in here know the story. We know that's not what Paul hears. I believe that's what he may have been expecting to hear. But what does Paul hear? He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Persecute? Whoa, 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 I'm not here to persecute you. I'm not, I'm not persecuting you. And then Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Then the words that really hit him to the core, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Wow. Wow. I am Jesus. I'm not persecuting you. I'm serving you. I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. I'm not working. I'm working for you, not against you. But there's a problem. The voice behind the light gets to define the relationship. You do not. And the voice behind the light said, I was a persecutor. I was against you. I'm not working for you. I'm working against you. And N.T. Wright goes on to record that Paul has to return to Tarsus, where he's from, and spend the next 10 years dealing with who was Jesus. Who was Jesus in the Old Testament? When the people were actually covering their ears to hear Stephen speak, he had to go back to that same monologue. He had to go learn for it. And it cost him a lot. And he had to make the same argument. This is all nice and wonderful, and it's all good to talk about Paul and talk about Pharaoh. But what does it mean? So now what? What, is it, what does it mean for us today? And um, in preparing, I had a challenge. And I'm hesitant to offer the challenge because to accept the challenge requires a tremendous amount of courage. And the challenge is, are we willing to go before the Holy Spirit? And say, God, search me, try me, test my heart. Am I sitting on something that I need to get rid of? Is there an egg that I believe that needs to be addressed? 
And the Holy Spirit, and only the Holy Spirit, can reveal that. Nobody else can. And it takes courage to look at that. But it's also, there's two... There's something you need to take courage because a revelation from God is a dangerous thing. A revelation from God is a dangerous thing. And for this challenge, it's dangerous in two reasons. Number one is almost all hard hearts, almost all false eggs, I believe, result from a distorted view of self. And that we have to look at each other and say, I'm not who I think I am. That's what both Pharaoh and Paul had to look at and say, well, I'm not who I think I am. Did you notice that both Pharaoh and Paul asked God, who are you? But the question that was answered was, who am I? It's almost certainly to cause an identity crisis. It's also dangerous because what has been revealed can't be unrevealed. And once you know it, you are now accountable for it. And you have to make a decision. Once it's been exposed, once it's been revealed, you can choose the path of Pharaoh or the path of Paul. And that takes courage. That takes a lot of courage. But the last thing that Pharaoh and Paul have in common is their hard hearts made them enemies of God. But that's the good news. But let me tell you what God does for His enemies. This is what Paul says. Since we now have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved through God's wrath through Him? For if... While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him. Through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have now received reconciliation. We serve a God who takes His enemies and makes them His children. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. It's bigger than me. I can't do it. You can't do it. Only God. And He did it willingly. He did it lovingly. And He'll do it again. There's nobody in here who is such a great enemy that God can't reconcile to Him. The promise of heaven is for us, it's for Shelbyville, it's for Danville, it's for the world. And we get the right to boast for it. Because once I was God's enemy, but now God calls me His son. Once I was God's enemy, but God calls me a joint heir with Jesus. Only God. And only God can do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we just love Your mercy. And we love that you take us and you look at our hearts and you say, there's nothing dead there. I'm going to take it out and I'm going to put a new heart of flesh. 
a heart of flesh that will follow me, obey me, and love me, and then boast about my, my graciousness and my generosity. And then one day, when this world comes to an end, we're going to eat at a big feast with our Father, our King, because He paid our ransom. Amen. Let's all stand and sing this last song together. the cross upon your back bleeding until your final breath tears of blood a crown of thorns you gave it all our sins you bore oh oh there is no What a great illustration with the false egg. But he said it a hard heart can be a, a an ideal or a you know a, a commitment that doesn't bring life. Wow. Lord Jesus, let's just let's just open ourselves up to the Spirit. Holy Spirit, Lord, show us what's not bringing life. And let us trace that back and, and give that to you. Is this an idea, a commitment, is this that's not of you that's there's something that's not biblical or whole about it lord god we want to bear fruit we want to give life lord god and lord god i i just also just pray for us lord god that that lord any areas of our heart that is hardened and 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 we are uh uh shielding and keeping away from you lord god we say soften our hearts lord god soften our hearts I want to play, pray and speak over you the ironic blessing and then let you go. Living Waters family, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you 
and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his shalom. Everything as it really ought to be, nothing missing and nothing broken. May you put your full weight down and rest in the hammock of his smile of approval for you. For in Christ Jesus, you are approved. May you walk under the warmth of his presence and hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way walking it. You are blessed in order to be a blessing. Thank you, Lord. You go with us into this week. Well, God, you're more than enough. Your grace is more than enough to shine innocent through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Kyle Haley, so glad you came. Kyle, thanks for sharing that word. It was right on important for us. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day. Have a blessed week. You carried the cross upon your back, the sacrifice, tears of blood 